The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In business today, success isn't just about the sale. It's about authentic communication that serves your audience in a meaningful way. This is the Soul Shall Hour with Francis Leary. In our program, we'll explore how to stay true to your core values, tell your story, engage your audience, and drive business growth. Now, here is your host, Francis Leary. Hello there, friends. You are listening to The Social Hour. I'm your host, Francis Leary, and I'm so glad to be here with you today. You can reach me at radio at francisleary.com, and just make sure to connect with me online. You can look for Francis Leary, all one word, pretty much everywhere, and you will find me. So today on the show, we are talking about one of my very favorite topics in the world, which is folklore and what in the world that has to do with marketing. And I'm super excited to have um, Ian Brody with us today. Ian is an associate professor in folklore at Cape Breton University, and he is an expert on how folklore and popular culture and verbal wordplay and get this stand-up comedy intersect sect and all relate to each other. And Ian and I were actually in school with each other, getting our master's degree at Memorial University of Newfoundland. Welcome, Ian. So excited to have you on the show today. Hi, Francis. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um, as I was planning the show, I just, um, you know, we're connected on Facebook and everything. And I just couldn't imagine somebody that uh, I really wanted to have fun with today. And um, I'm just so excited you could be here. So oh, you're great. flattering me now. <laughs> So um, it's been some time, I'm not going to count years now, since we were together in uh, graduate school, but can you tell us just a little bit about your background and your expertise in folklore and sort of what brought you to where you are today? Uh, well, I started the uh, PhD in folklore in 2001, and I guess that's basically when we met uh, mm-hmm. at about that time, and I had been doing uh, stuff on the philosophy of religion. Uh, before that, and um, it's a strange, it's, it's a strange uh, overlap, and I don't necessarily have the time to explain how I was able to rationalize <laughs> one to the other. But one of the things that I'd always been interested in is uh, is comedy and and how we are to understand the joke, and uh, folklore just became this opportunity to for me to try and figure out what it is to have this kind of very informal communication that is laughter and stand up. Uh, and um, uh, so when I started t- taking folk- these folklore courses, I started seeing all these patterns that could apply to stand-up, like toasts and obviously jokes and, and uh, riddles. And, uh, but then it, it transformed into understanding it as this study of uh, small talk and the study of intimate communication. And so uh, that's where I—that's what my uh, dissertation was in, and that's what my research expertise is basically in. This uh, this idea of stand-up being uh, the face-to-face communication that we always have, and you know, it's playful, it's funny, but h- what happens when you try and turn that into a professional thing, and um, you, you try and put it onto the stage where you don't necessarily have that uh, friendship circle 
that typical typical joking takes place within. How do you sort mm-hmm. of create a friendship circle on a stage in order for that to uh, make sense and for jokes to be allowed and accepted and critiqued and uh, enjoyed? Awesome. And so you've written a book about this, right? Um, it's called A Vulgar Art. Um, and for anyone who's listening, you can go to www.avulgarart.com and learn more about Ian and get in touch with his book uh, or buy his book. It's also available on Amazon. Um, so you also have another book, Old Trout Funnies, the Comic Origins of the Cape Breton Liberation Army. Can you just tell us quickly a little bit about that? Well, the Old Trout Funnies was this very short-run local underground comic that was produced in the mid-1970s. And uh, it introduced the world to the Cape Breton Liberation Army, which was a group of people who were... Uh, Cape Breton, as you, uh, your listeners may or may not know, is part of Nova Scotia that had been joined to the mainland of Nova Scotia in 1825. And it's an island um, separated by a causeway. Uh, that wasn't built until the 1950s. And the idea of the Cape Breton Liberation Army was uh, a playful idea of actually seeking Cape Breton independence, more or less to pursue unencumbered by people from uh, mainland Canada or mainland Nova Scotia, uh, their, their, their dreams, which is basically sitting around in taverns and listening to hard rock music. This was a comic mm-hmm. that, that sort of emerged out of a bunch of, um, uh, I guess it's fair to call them hippies and baby boomers, and um, but the the idea of the Cape Breton Liberation Army sort of uh, became this comic theme that's existed now for forty years. There was uh, other popular entertainments used it. Uh, actually, right now, uh, since the book and since this uh, an art exhibit that we have of uh, the artist Paul McKinnon's work, uh, there's now going to be a musical based on it at a local theater uh, in 2017, and so uh, it's sort of come full circle. But the book is just locating these comics, trying to make sense of them because they were very, very local, and these references that were, if you didn't understand. Uh, Cape Breton civic politics in 1975. You wouldn't necessarily <laughs> get the joke, so I annotated uh, annotated them as best I could. Uh, interviewed the author, interviewed some of the people who he who uh, he based his characters on, because they're basically he drew his friends and put capes and uh, fatigues and things on them. And um, uh, that oh. book came out last year, so it's. It, it, it ties into what I'm interested in because this was basically a comic that started as something that he shared with his friends, again, sort of in this friendship circle. And then when he wanted to become a professional comic book artist, he created something that could appeal to a larger audience. So how do you do that? And folklore mm-hmm. is very much about you know, understanding your audience. And then that bridge between folklore and popular culture is about how do you take that understanding of audience in the face-to-face and, the, and that sort of intimate circle and expand it beyond people that you actually know and have direct contact with. So um, mm-hmm. that, that's what I'm most interested in, This what happens when that market just becomes, and maybe it's a bit callous to talk about market at this point, but when that market mm-hmm. becomes just a little bit larger and then a little bit larger still, a little bit larger still, you can see that how it happens with music. You can see it, how it happens with the uh, story. Uh, and um, for me, it was joke telling and, and uh, you know, local comic books or uh, other manifestations of that. Right. Awesome. So um, I think this is a really great introduction into everything that we're going to be talking today because, um, you know, there is this uh, real connection that I found between folklore and between marketing. Um, and it can be a very intentional connection that we make as, you know, uh, as 
organizations, we can actually apply some of these principles in order to have our own company's sort of stories take off in the way that some of these um, shorter excerpts of maybe contemporary urban legend or comedy really take off in now what's this sort of uh, social media viral landscape of communication. Mm-hmm. So before we look into that more, I just, so you, you talked about folklore as this sort of understand how, how you understand your audience and how that's so important, but what is folklore to you? How would you define that? Well, folklore is basically informal culture. It's it's the kind of communication that takes place not necessarily through media and certainly not the things that are taught at universities or are sort of promoted for the most part by large institutions like the state or um, the, I guess, the bourgeoisie or, or whatever. Uh, it's sort of different from, you can sort of make a comparison. A good example is, say, architecture in that you have these sort of grand pieces of architecture like, um, uh, let's say, the Guggenheim, you know, one-off specific uh, examples of of a form of artistry that is meant to be some kind of permanent achievement. And then you might have sort of popular architecture, things like um, suburban housing, which are, you know, still well-designed, but one of the issues is that they are mass-produced. They are... are, um, not particularly variant, and then a third might be something like a barn, a sort of a simple uh, a simple barn, which it's still it's adhering to a pattern, but each one is um, is you know designed and built for that specific purpose at that specific time. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, so it might be strange to talk about barns and then leap over to stories. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's a similar situation where you might have something like high literature, a book that is taught through schools and is sort of meant to be an exemplary, one-of-a-kind piece. And then you might have popular literature. And again, the, the, whether it's good or not is not really the issue. It's really how, how it's um, spread. So you right. have popular literature. Let's just say a Stephen King. We, we can all know and love Stephen King, but it's sort of a different mm. thing altogether. And then there is uh, you know, local communication, you know, storytelling, one-off, where the, the idea of the performance of that story isn't necessarily meant to exist for a moment any longer than the actual moment of its performance. Mm, right. So for me, I have... Um, I. I've come to understand sort of folklore as, um, and I love this, you know, it is informal culture, but I've, the way I've explored it, it's, it has been the, the way, um, looking at the ways in which cultures communicate their belief systems. And, um, and I came at it through, um, my study of this, um, humanoid primate, like a Bigfoot type creature that lives in the Mississippi and Louisiana swamps. And so I went down there, um, for all of you listeners who haven't heard this story, you absolutely, um, should go back to one of the first shows and, and hear more about it. Or you can also go to my website and, and watch the video about the story. But, um, I, you know, I lived in the swamps for a little while, which was a lot of fun and, uh, went on all of these swamp tours and I collected these stories of people that, um, had seen this creature, like, um, they were, you know, hunting one day and then here's this, um, this one person says, it looks like it's out of a horror movie. It's seven feet tall. It must've weighed 400 pounds. And, you know, it had its head hung to two feet. The rest of it was covered with short, dingy gray hair. Um, but in, in a, uh, mo- overall consensus is about six feet tall. It has gray hair, it has yellow eyes and it has three pronged, um, three toes. So, um, and it's called the honey Island swamp monster. So I collected all these stories and 
um, learned more about the um, what the people believed there, but then really started studying how did they commodify those beliefs? How did they start to sell their beliefs or package them and put them together so that they could sell them in order to turn a profit? So, you know, and of course, as the, the consumer that I am, I had to buy everything. So, you know, I bought the plaster cast footprint and I have it hanging in my office and I've got the t-shirt and I've got the books and the Leonard Nimoy video and, and all of this stuff. And, you know, it wasn't right away, but over time, what this really led me to be, believe once I got sort of into the field of marketing that making this connection between, you know, in folklore, we're communicating or cultures are communicating belief systems in some way. And in marketing, the whole goal is really to communicate your core values in a way that resonates with your audience in a way that doesn't seem like you are selling to them in a formal way. You want to really create this informal um, relationship that has to be created because you understand your audience and you have a real connection to your core values and you can communicate in that in a way that's either funny, playful, meaningful, inspiring, um, you know, whatever that may be that really lands with your audience and ultimately wants them to take action and buy from you. Yeah. So it's, um, it's been a really fun journey to, to get here. Um, and so in the next segment of our show, we're going to look at sort of some of these viral folklore phenomena that, um, that now using social media, sort of what that means and how those can grow and then ultimately look at what businesses can do maybe to so, sort of leverage some of that and put some of that to work for them. So we are going to head out to a short break. So everyone who is listening, please stay with us and we will see you on the other side of two minutes. Stay tuned. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to take your business to the next level? Wired Flare's unique approach to online marketing inspires meaningful conversations that drive business growth. They tell stories that champion ethical business, build community, and generate impact. Wired Flare integrates your core values into your brand messaging. They use content marketing to tell your story and social media to engage your audience. They use inbound marketing to attract more visitors, generate more leads, and convert more customers. Visit wiredflare.com. Tell your story online. Frances Leary is an award-winning entrepreneur and international storyteller. Her stories champion big ideas and generate big impact. Have Frances speak to and inspire your organization or train and consult with your team. She speaks internationally and aids top-tier professionals in marketing, entrepreneurship, online strategy, technology and education, and authentic communication. Frances Leary inspires and educates audiences with her passionate and purpose-filled keynotes and presentations. Visit FrancisLeary.com. Empower your team today. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. 
If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to The Soul Show Hour with Francis Leary. Connect with the program today by calling us at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to radio at francisleary.com. Now back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. It's great to have you here with us. I am here with Ian Brody, and we are talking about the connection between folklore and marketing. So in the first segment, Ian shared some of his experiences, as I shared mine, of uh, with the Honey Island Swamp Monster and how that sort of led me to really discover this connection and so now I kind of want to um, take a look at uh, look at this connection a little bit more. I mean, there are a lot I think that businesses can actually learn from looking at the nature of um, contemporary legend and why that really grows and spreads the way that it does, and what has happened to it with this whole social media you know, phenomenon that uh, has uh, really come up in the past number of years. So, Ian, can you tell us a little bit about what's the nature of sort of contemporary legend or urban legend? So what is what is that? Well, contemporary legends, urban legends, the terms are basically interchangeable, um, are little narratives, little stories, and I'll actually qualify that in a second, but little stories that uh, are immediately important to the people who tell them. What they tend to do is they, or they, their topics tend to be moments or, or incidents of concern to, uh, to the people who are telling them. The idea that there's something threatening or frightening or there's a danger in place. It's not a danger that's usually supernatural. It's a danger that's sort of more psychological and, and um, of, of the contemporary context. When I say I wanted to qualify what I mean by narrative is that a, a contemporary legend is usually not told from beginning, middle, and end. It doesn't have necessarily a nice sweeping arc like we might imagine a story to have. Contemporary legends are often told in in, in private. They're, I don't sit down to tell you a story. I say, Francis, did you hear about this? And you say, what? And I start giving you information, and you're asking me questions back and forth. I'm not really narrating this. I am telling you these particular moments because I think that they are important uh, and that you hear about them. Over time, that might sort of be shaved into something that is much more a specific narrative. Uh, sometimes when you hear a contemporary legend and it has a nice beginning, middle, and an end, you can at the same time 
sort of starts to see that maybe this isn't actually a legend in active circulation. This is now mm-hmm. uh, sort of a, a settled story, and people are appreciating the story value of it and not necessarily thinking of it as a specific truth that I need to tell you at this particular moment. Right. So, so how, how has social media then changed the way, because, you know, it used to be the, hey, have you heard this? Or, oh my gosh, you, do you know about this? Um, but how has social media changed that? Well, uh, it's very much like, in, in some ways, like chain letters, or it's very much like the, hey, have you seen this? Because if you think of, of what, uh, what sharing is on Facebook or what a retweet is on, on Twitter, uh, I mean, sharing is, I have heard this thing, this and I am now imparting it to you. Uh, but um, So there's the, just the simple act of taking this bit of information and sending it along is part of that folkloric process. Now, obviously, folk didn't necessarily, I mean, the, the, you know, the, uh, we didn't necessarily build social networks ourselves, but we are, the folk always use whatever medium they have open and available to them in order to communicate stuff. So sharing is just a natural extension of this. But also, we often don't simply share. We critique and we make mm-hmm. comments on. So mm-hmm. uh, one of the things about legends is that if I tell you a story and it ends with, oh, let's just say, oh, and there are alligators in the sewers of New York to this day, and we're in that phase where we still believe this to be actually true, you and I are probably going to try and uh, discuss whether that actually happened, what are the implications of it. So uh, a legend becomes this opportunity for um, questioning that belief system, sometimes reaffirming it, sometimes the, the idea that the legend challenges it. But um, as you said, if, if folklore is one of the ways that beliefs are communicated, contemporary legends are one of the ways that they are critiqued and their boundaries are tested. Um, so on social media, when you're sharing, as I said, you, you also will often put a, uh, oh, my God, I can't believe that they, they said this, or you might not necessarily share but participate in a conversation through a comment thread. And so you are doing the same basic thing that you might be doing in, in uh, close quarters when you're told a story. Um, the, the text itself might not be subject to variation, but how that text is surrounded by discourse is. So every time it's shared... Right. There's something new about it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's amazing how the internet has really um, just, there is such a culture of, um, of of legend that exists now sort of on the internet and so many different places to go to uh, find out about these things. So uh, not too long, I think it was in September, there was a, the Black Widow and the Costco grapes. So mm-hmm. I, being who I am, of course, I'm like looking this up. And it was interesting because in within a few days, there was something in Edmonton and then there was something in Fargo and then there was something like in a, a bunch of different uh, locations that sort of all came up. And then there was something, you know, a few years ago. So, um, and of course, in, you know, instead of this having, you know, a conversation here and it's, oh, did you hear something? You know, there are, literally, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of shares on this, this mm-hmm. uh, comment thread. And then there are sites like Snopes where you can go and you can find out, is this true or is this not? And mm-hmm. then there are, there's this site, ClickHole, which basically is like, it seems like its whole purpose is just t- kind of to permeate anything that could be maybe not not really true, maybe. Perhaps. <laughs> like, but, it's but, just... But ClickHole is intentionally a comedy site. I mean, <gasps> right, where, where they right. share... Uh, or, I mean, they're not even um, sharing stories. They're creating these outrageous stories that are, you know, just deliberately absurd. But you do have that 
interesting phenomenon on the internet where fake news uh, and mm-hmm. news that is created for comic effect is then shared as as true and people comment on it. There's a folklorist called uh, Russell Frank who has a book called News Lore, which is precisely uh, which one of the chapters is precisely on that. What happens when um, when co- uh, comedy news is taken as real? That's sort of different from the the interesting argument of the past couple of weeks about fake news. You know, mm-hmm. the, the effort to deliberately deceive, as opposed to you know, comedy, which is just the the effort to humorously parody what's going on in the culture. And clickhole is sort of an extension of, of that form. It's not necessarily, uh, it's it's not creating lies. It's creating stories, fictions. And I think there's right. a difference between a lie and fiction. Well, there is, and and I think sometimes, um, well, but sometimes people who initially post the news, like there was this one about the buses that were all lined up and apparently they were supposedly um, protesting and they had been all um, hired to protest this. I think it was a Trump rally or something like this. Um, Mm -hmm. Anyway, this guy just posted it. He didn't fact check. He kind of posted it initially because he saw these buses and he made a a conclusion. So he wasn't intentionally hoaxing anybody or being fake. However, this took took off, this false Mm -hmm. news, just as this viral sort of uh, truth. And, yeah. uh, and then on the flip side of that, one of my favorites that, that is, uh, fake news, I guess, was, uh, Justin Trudeau, uh, kissing, uh, Thomas Mulcair. Yeah. <laughs> I love this to, um, after the Orlando, uh, sh- nightclub shooting and, uh, and people were sharing it like this was, this was the real thing, you know? And, uh, I, and so there's really kind of blurred lines between, you know, what actually is sort of legit, I guess, in the nature that social media has allowed things to sort of evolve. This sort of communication process, the hoax, the fake news, the the comic lore, and, and then those the legends are all really intertwined in the way that they um, evolve and virally explode on the internet. Like, wouldn't you say... Yeah, because one of the things that that uh, social media does is it uh, by me sharing it, I am basically giving my uh, imprimatur on it. I am saying this is something that you need to hear, and so uh, if you look at sort of one of the classic formulations of a contemporary legend is a friend of a friend. You know, th- this happened to a friend of a friend of mine. Well, a friend of a friend is basically a formulation that says that that. Uh, claims the veracity by there being a direct connection between me, the teller, and the protagonist of the story. So Mm -hmm. this isn't something I heard, I mean, I guess technically I heard it third-hand, but through a chain that, oh, you can trust, because they're my friend, and I wouldn't have friends with people who tell them fibs, so so this is obviously true. And social media does that. When your Aunt Bertha shares a story with you, uh, Aunt Bertha is more or less, unless she sort of says, ha, 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 I can't believe people share this thing, she's more or less <laughs> giving it her, her, um, her uh, thumbs up. And by right. giving it her thumbs up, you're meant to take her into consideration for how you read that news story. So it isn't mm-hmm. simply a matter of what gets shared, it's who's doing the sharing. Right, absolutely. Um so I love some of the things that you've said here, and I think that these are so applicable to business because, so you've said that, um, you know, these contemporary legends are little stories that are immediately important to the people who tell them. So as organizations who want to sort of uh, create this experience and um, for their audience, 
they want to be able to share stories that are immediately important to their audience. So, you know, how do they do that? Um, that's, that's part of that process. And then the other thing you mentioned that is that legends provide or, or really um, bring, bring forth discussion, engagement. Mm-hmm. The audience is engaged with this. And every business who is on social media using it for uh, business growth wants their audience to be engaged. So the very nature of these stories and, and the actions that they bring forth from their audiences are the exact things that companies really want to achieve with their marketing. So um, as we move into our next segment, we are going to then look at, you know, how can we sort of create some rules for our businesses to follow (laughs) in order to achieve some of these results with their companies. So um, we are headed out again to a little short break here. So everybody, please stay with us. And Ian Brody and I will be right back in just a few minutes. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Frances Leary is an award-winning entrepreneur and international storyteller. Her stories champion big ideas and generate big impact. Have Frances speak to and inspire your organization or train and consult with your team. She speaks internationally and aids top-tier professionals in marketing, entrepreneurship, online strategy, technology and education, and authentic communication. Frances Leary inspires and educates audiences with her passionate and purpose-filled keynotes and presentations. Visit FrancisLeary.com. Empower your team today. Are you ready to take your business to the next level? Wired Flare's unique approach to online marketing inspires meaningful conversations that drive business growth. They tell stories that champion ethical business, build community, and generate impact. Wired Flare integrates your core values into your brand messaging. They use content marketing to tell your story and social media to engage your audience. They use inbound marketing to attract more visitors, generate more leads, and convert more customers. Visit wiredflare.com. Tell your story online. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to The Soul Show Hour with Francis Leary. Connect with the program today by calling us at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to radio at francisleary.com. Now back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks so much for staying with us. I am here with Ian Brody, and we are talking about the connection between folklore and marketing. And up till now, we've been sort of looking at the ways that 
uh, contemporary legend and um, even hoaxes and fake news and all of that are sort of perpetuated through social media um, conversations. And so now I want to sort of look, dig down deeper and look at um, how this can be applied to business. So Ian, thank you so much for staying with us today. No problem. Yeah, I'm really, really having fun with this. So, um, so I think there are, you know, there are a number of ways that um, there there is this connection because, you know, businesses want to um, want to build relationships with their audiences. They want to uh, share information that is somehow immediately important to their audience. Now, probably they don't want to terrify them or provide them mm-hmm. with life threatening situations like you would in an urban legend, um, and of course they don't want to deceive them like you would with an intentional hoax or some fake news. They do, though, want to um, share things that the audience finds important and will be engaged with. Mm -hmm. So, um, and for us, I mean, at our core, at Wired Flair, it's, it's really about the authenticity of the story. So, I mean... Uh, when you get right down to it with communicating your core values as an organization in a really authentic way, because that is, um, you know, that is folklore as it is for cultures. So, I mean, for us, it's, it starts with that very basic principle that in order to communicate with your audience and build relationships with them, you have to start from this very authentic place. Mm -hmm. And, um, and of course, folklore comes from this very authentic place. Um, And then, you know, to achieve sort of this viral nature of communication, then I think there are other elements that we can really look at, like in the urban legends, to sort of put those to work. So do you have any ideas around that, Ian, what that might look like? Well, as I said, one of the things about urban legends is that when they're told, they're kind of incomplete, And so what makes them engaging is that they basically ask a question or they leave it to a certain extent as a cliffhanger. And it's Mm -hmm. up to the the person who's sort of now stopped narrating and is now back to to being uh, one side of a conversation and the other people who are are listening to sort of negotiate uh, the meaning out of that. What what exactly happened? So again... um, uh, using that that classic example of the um, alligators in the sewers, you try and you know, the story kind of ends there. You don't know what happened. You don't know what happens to the alligators in the end. Have things gone back to normal? And you just <laughs> you know figure it out amongst yourselves. Mm-hmm. You you figure it out. So I imagine one of the things that uh, a successful tool for marketing would be to let that question hang just a little bit, not enough to be. Uh, to uh, get in the way of the the ultimate message that that uh, or the, either the product or the service that is being marketed, but enough to uh, really draw the person in and try and have them finish the finish the message of uh, themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. One example, and th- this is, I think this is still on the same topic, but. If you want to think of there's a uh, you know a canon or a body of contemporary legends that sometimes marketers have been able to take uh, take some clever advantage of, um, it, one there was a rumor going around in the uh, mid 1980s about green M and M's. I don't know what you have heard about <laughs> green M and M's. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. All right. Don't want to say it out loud. <laughs> 
Okay. Um, well, the idea was that the green M and M sort of functioned almost like a, an aphrodisiac or a Spanish fly or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and so, uh, you know, again, where this partic- uh, where this uh, specifically came from, uh, you know, there are traces of it elsewhere. But you know, it just sort of emerged like many of these legends. Um, and uh, the, the Mars, the, the company that makes M and M's introduced the green M&M character in their marketing. And, you know, they had had the anthropomorphic M&Ms, the, uh, the, basically the, the, the chocolate and the peanut one, the, the two wisecracking uh, buddies. And then the green M&M was this femme fatale. And without ever really speaking directly to the legend, they performed the legend by having this uh, incredibly alluring, well, I mean, as alluring as a round piece of candy can be, <laughs> an incredibly alluring character that tapped into the audience's knowledge of, um, uh, of that, uh, that uh, green M&M idea. It, uh, I mean, the audience would still understand it because it's an attractive, you know, or again, within this universe, an attractive woman in sort of a classic uh, bombshell uh, pose and, and even sort of a mm-hmm. you know, Mae West accent. But um, she, but if you know the legend, then you're even more tied into it. So mm-hmm. in many ways, that, that sort of subtle use of referencing, what does the audience already know that I can incorporate into this story where without spoon-feeding it to them, they are making a connection because they are finishing the story. They know something that, um, that, that, that completes the message for me. I think it, uh, contemporary legend, or folklore in general, of course, but contemporary legend specifically works in that uh, what does the audience already need to know about the world in order for this contemporary legend to make sense? Right. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Now, uh, how to actually turn that into a specific step-by-step strategy, well, that's, that, that, that's a different <laughs> order of, of uh, business. I don't know exactly how, how I could suggest uh, being able to do that on an anticipatory way, but we, we see these little glimmers every now and then where someone is, is, uh, using, um, is uh, using either uh, I mean, humor works by people being able to fill, uh, fill in the blanks themselves, and they have just enough information to, to, uh, to get it. And the, the, the more that they need to work... Uh, in, in a way, the, the more satisfying that message, uh, the, that, that, that joke is. Uh, there's nothing sort of more boring than an over-explained joke. Uh, right. Contemporary legend works the same way. If you start giving people the motivations, it's like, well, it's not necessarily scary or frightening. It's just a, a kind of um, tepid tale. So you're drawing the audience in by having them do much of the work of completing it, completing your message. Right. So then that really comes down to, you've got to understand your audience really, really well. You have to know, you know, who they are. You have to know what their knowledge is, what they're aware of and what's meaningful for them. And fundamentally, um, the same thing that you do when you tell your daughter a story is what a marketer is doing when they're telling their audience a story. It's an, um, the deeper the understanding you, you have about them, the more you can customize your message. On a one-on-one, it's very easy, of course. You have the ability to change tack if you say something and she's frightened when she's meant to be more thrilled. You know how to respond. Marketing, it's all anticipatory. You sort of craft your message and you do the market research to understand what people are, are interested in and then you throw a story out there. You're, you're making educated guesses about your audience. 
But I guess with social marketing, the benefit is that you do have that feedback loop. You have people who respond, um, and they can respond negatively, and you can change your message accordingly. So I think that's one of the interesting overlaps between marketing and folklore, especially now in the phase of social media, is that the uh, the feedback loop is that much quicker, and then um, uh, you can actually be responsive as opposed to... Um, it's, it, you know, it's steering the ship is that much easier. Right. And I, and I think for a lot of organizations, though, the um, what they find is nothing. I mean, so on the other end of this, you know, attempt to connect with their audience might be that nothing happened. There is no engagement. It just it just lands. And then it's it's like the shot that no one heard. You know, mm-hmm. it's just there. And that, I think, is like the just ugh the sign of death, you know, for, uh, for the marketing department. So then it's really, I mean, I think negative response, any response means that you have connected, like you found something that makes a connection with the audience. So really, um, if you're not getting any engagement with your social communication, likely, you know, you're not really, um, connecting. You're you're not, speaking the language that is meaningful to the audience out there. And, and they just, you know, they don't really care. Um, so they might, you know, maybe they buy from you because you've got this great product or service, but eh, they're not going to really stay connected. They might not tell people about you as much because they just don't care because you're not putting out messaging that means something to them. So, um, I think that's a big goal, right? So to put all of this sort of to work within an organization really comes down to, I think, one, understanding who you are as a, mm-hmm. as an organization. What what really makes you tick when you dig down, you know, and unpeel all of those layers of, you know, the products and services that you create and the team that, that does that for you? Um, why are you doing it? Who are you? Why are you doing it? And what's meaningful to you? And then doing, going through that same process with your audience, sort of peeling back those layers and really getting to who are they, you know, so that you have that really deep audience knowledge. So you say you, like you said, you can tailor your Mm -hmm. message specifically to them. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I guess there's also finding a balance between trying to um, cast as broad a net as possible. I mean, because obviously, you know, big markets and big audiences are a good thing. But you probably want to balance, can I create a message that's going to appeal very deeply to a narrow uh, audience, and therefore I'm sort of focusing on this group, and then maybe it falls with a thud elsewhere, but that's not necessarily my concern, and build Mm -hmm. a deep, strong, narrow audience, that sort of long-tail philosophy of marketing, or do I appeal to the broadest possible uh, common denominator? Well, that's cool. There's nothing wrong with appealing to the broadest denominator, but your message, I think, is going to, because it has to appeal to everybody, your message is probably going to be um, uh, just that sort of shallower. Right. Absolutely. I think it's really important um, for a lot of, especially smaller businesses, to really identify that niche, that tribe that they mm-hmm. want to serve so that they can craft messaging and ex- and online experiences that are meaningful for that really targeted, um, audience. So, um, uh, this has been a great show so far. Um, we're coming up to our last commercial break here. And so everybody, while you are on your break, I hope you will go 
to Ian's site. Check it out. Find out more about him. It's www.avulgarart.com. And when we come back, I'm going to have him tell us a little bit more about that book as well. You can also find Ian on Twitter at avulgarart. So we're going to take a short break. Everybody stay with us. We'll be back in just a few minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to take your business to the next level? Wired Flare's unique approach to online marketing inspires meaningful conversations that drive business growth. They tell stories that champion ethical business, build community, and generate impact. Wired Flare integrates your core values into your brand messaging. They use content marketing to tell your story and social media to engage your audience. They use inbound marketing to attract more visitors, generate more leads, and convert more customers. Visit wiredflare.com. Tell your story online. Frances Leary is an award-winning entrepreneur and international storyteller. Her stories champion big ideas and generate big impact. Have Frances speak to and inspire your organization or train and consult with your team. She speaks internationally and aids top-tier professionals in marketing, entrepreneurship, online strategy, technology and education, and authentic communication. Frances Leary inspires and educates audiences with her passionate and purpose-filled keynotes and presentations. Visit FrancisLeary.com. Empower your team today. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to The Soul Show Hour with Francis Leary. Connect with the program today by calling us at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to radio at francisleary.com. Now back to the program. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for staying with us. I am here with Ian Brody, and we have been talking about the relationship between folklore and marketing. And um, and in the last segment, we really looked at some ways that businesses can put some of this to work. So, Ian, thank you so much for staying with us today. You're very welcome. Yeah, this has been a really, really fun conversation for me. So, um some of the uh, the things that businesses can really um, really do is um, we mentioned in the last segment just really understanding first who they are and then understanding who their audience is in order to really sort of build those relationships um, with their audience that they want to. Um, and you gave us some really great uh, great information. Um, I loved what you said at the beginning of the show about how you know legends or contemporary legends, urban legends are these little stories that are immediately important to the people. And, um, 
And then in the last one, you gave us this tip about just, you know, one way to help create those immediately important stories are to have these um, sort of cliffhangers, put these questions out there that the audience almost has to like participate in to, um, in order to sort of solve it or to answer it or to, to find out what's on the other, uh, other end of that. So do you just kind of want to summarize some of your thoughts about this connection and how some of these businesses can, uh, put this to work for them? Um, well, I guess there, there's two aspects. Uh, I think both joke and legend, they, they function in a way, as I said earlier, because the audience is the one who's ultimately responsible for finishing the text. Folklorists understand everything as sort of at this moment of performance. I mean, when we think about um, whether we're talking about a traditional fairy tale, whether we're talking about actually doesn't even need to be verbal stuff, whether we're talking about dance or, or food, it's using the, uh, the materials that uh, are perhaps jointly uh, owned by the group. Uh, sort of a collective repertoire that one person might have a particular expertise or a reputation for expertise at performing. So someone has, you know, been granted the title storyteller, and they craft that story using the tools that are available to them and their own ingenuity in a way that is meaningful to the people immediately present to them. Uh, and it's only for the moment that's immediately present. When we talk about things that have been captured in print or in film or in recordings, we recognize that that audience is going to be bigger than the people immediately in front of them. So um, as someone who is adept at, uh, adept at sort of this expanding their market uh, is adept at understanding how, uh, what, is, what needs to be understood um, both for the audience in front of them and for the, the larger, more diffuse audience, which is why I said early in the, the previous section about there might be a time when, when the market is super, uh, super large, um, where you're, you know, everything is just sort of, I don't want to say lowest common denominator, but everything is sort of uh, uh, at its most simple uh, uh, and uh, sort of appealing to the broadest possible um, group. So, this grasping of an audience is what do uh, wh- what do these what is important to the people who I'm talking to? What are their value systems, their belief systems that I can speak to, and at the same time, of course, not simply reconfirm, but have something interesting to say about that. Whether we're talking about a version of Cinderella or whether we're talking about a contemporary legend, it's about something that is both consistent with the audience's expectations, but novel enough to attract attention to itself. There's an aesthetic Mm -hmm. response. And so uh, now, when we're talking about sort of modern messages and messages from from businesses, it's not necessarily going to be the, uh, you know, an already established story like Cinderella. It's going to be a, a new story, but that story is still going to be very much a piece with how their audience understands stories to begin with. If you're giving your testimony, your your you know, personal experience about how you, you know, how you came to be, uh, and you're crafting an image for your audience, you're going to, your story, no matter how specific it is, is going to uh, align with the general understanding of what a life experience, what a sort of transformative experience uh, is, how that is understood by your audience. 
So right. you know, personal experience narratives are a tradition, even if the plot is new. The, uh, the, the how that story unfolds is going to be very much meeting the expectations of your audience. And one of the ways to to grab that in uh, is for the audience to, as I said, finish that arc for you uh, mm-hmm. collaboratively, because. Um, Again, going back to that classic idea of a storyteller, they tell the story, but fundamentally it is a collaborative creation between the teller and the audience. And it is that text which is most fascinating, how whatever was passed along through time and experience is made new to, uh, to this particular audience, but also by this particular audience by participating in the text. When I look at stand-up, yeah. one of the things that, I, that makes stand-up unique among any art form is that it requires a live audience. I defy you to find a recording of stand-up that doesn't have an audience there. <laughs> Every other form, music, um, you know, drama, uh, even improv, they don't necessarily need to have an audience present to it. Uh, stand-up, you have to have it because they, uh, the audience completes the text, even if it's only through laughter. The, the laughter is the way of uh, it. Sort of, uh, it, it punctuates not simply orally, but it it, it uh, emphasizes to perhaps a third party that what has just been told is understood as playful and aesthetically pleasing and joyous. Um, right. Because otherwise, yeah. it's sort of you know, if you didn't have that response, that's the work that the uh, the teller would have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm cognizant of time, but for example, in, uh, in a vulgar art, one of the things I point out is that when comedians cha- take their routines and put them onto paper, the, the sometimes crazy things that they say on stage that are you know could be interpreted as sort of psychotic, um, <laughs> they can get away with on stage because the audience laughs and audience recognizes that oh he's just said something uh, zany, uh, he's shaken our, our core belief systems, but we recognize it's play. Ah, ha 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 ha. When you see it in black and white <laughs> right. on the page, you need to double down and say, "I'm just kidding. I don't think that way." However, and you know, because the because the audience isn't there to complete the text, you only have mm. the teller who can complete the text. Right. No, that's so. It's so true. And I, I think I um, just what came to me while you were talking is that this um, this transformative experience that organizations can help. Um, lead their audience through really begins with that. Um, so that shared sort of jointly owned space is this, um, this pain that they're, that the people that they're serving are experiencing, you know, every business solves some problem for the people that they serve. And, you know, it's not a life threatening situation and there are no alligators in the sewers of New York. However, there Mm -hmm. is some problem that is this commonality that the audience experiences. And for them, you know, depending on what that problem is, it's very real. It's very real and it really does um, impact their lives in a negative Mm -hmm. way and they need you to solve it. They need you as an organization out there to solve it. And so when you can connect with that, um, that pain in that shared experience and then help them uh, start to tell a story that can help them through that process and then allows them to finish it. I think that's absolutely magic. Absolutely magic. Yeah. So um, we are. We only have a short a bit of time here, but before I sort of bid everyone adieu, I just wanted uh, to ask you a little bit. Can you tell people a little bit about a vulgar art and um, where they can, what they could find in your book? 
Okay. Well, a vulgar art has sort of a, this dual title to it because obviously there's there's two senses of the word vulgar. One of them is you know rudeness and you know uh, prurient language and so on. But the other has to do with um, uh, it comes from the Latin for of the crowd. And so uh, George Carlin called um, stand-up comedy a vulgar art in that it's of the people. It's um, so very. That's one of the the, the ties into it being. Uh, very much a folklore act in that it is interpersonal. It is not highfalutin. It is not of the <laughs> institutions. It is basically when people congregate, this is the kind of talk that they engage in. Um, awesome. the, as I said, the book basically starts with there is this kind of talk that we all do anyway. In, in play, in social times, we get together, we have... Um, you know, and one of us, uh, you know, we're having, I don't know, drinks or we're having some kind of sociability, and one of us starts talking and they momentarily don't literally take the stage, but attention is drawn towards them, and they are just being entertaining in a verbal way. Uh, awesome. Is I'm going to have to cut you yeah. off, Ian. I'm so sorry. No um, I should have asked you just a little bit earlier, but everyone, you can find out more about Ian Brody and about A Vulgar Art by going to www.avulgarart.com. And Ian, it has been so great. Thank you so much for being with us. And thank you to all of you who tuned in. Make sure to connect with Ian by going to his website and make sure to go connect with me at wiredflare.com. And again, you have been listening to the social hour. So come back next week. Thanks so much, everyone for being with us. Thank you for being a part of the social hour. Please be sure to join your host, Francis Leary, again next Thursday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This week, make a soul-shall connection with your audience.